Welcome to the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. On today's show, Bobby Scales and I are joined by the general manager of the Phillies, Sam Fold. Sam and Bobby were teammates with the Cubs in 09 and 10. Sam's entering his third season as Phillies GM. Hey, Bobby. Hey, Sam. Mark, always a pleasure to be on with you. Hi, Mark. Thanks for joining us. Sam, what do you remember about that part of your career and, and Bobby Scales, the player? Oh, man. How long do we have? Yeah, stop. Um, I don't know. I think Bobby and I just, I think, hit it off as teammates right away. We, we appreciated the grind of, uh, yeah, I think we spent more, I know we spent more time in Iowa than we did in uh, in Chicago. We both right. wish we were in Chicago more than, than Des Moines, nothing against Des Moines. But I, I just think we were similar players. Like we had to kind of work for everything we had. And, you know, we probably led our team in most balls hit off of a tee, both before a game and after a game. And I just remember, <laughs> I think that. <laughs> The two of us just pouring our heart and soul into into the game and and loving it and hating it too, and at various parts of our careers and any so many good memories there. Collisions, yeah. In Chicago, Sam, against the wall, yeah. you had that one where you basically planted yourself against Ivy, and I and you flipped <laughs> and me narrowly the avoided you. That's exactly right. In left center field, it was a night game in Wrigley, but yeah, not, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I was smart. I knew that the like. But comparing like a brick wall and, and Bobby Scales, I'd much rather run into a brick wall. I mean, you know, that's that's obvious, you know, with my hulking stature over here at six feet, 185 pounds. <laughs> All right. So January 2023, what's a day in the life like for you at this point? Oh, man. The cool thing is, like, I don't think that there is a there is not a ton of routine. And, and I've, I've always felt like that is energizing for me. So they're, they're really like no one day is the same as the other. I mean, yes, of course, like a typical day these days is waking up, getting the kids off to school, like packing, you know, school lunches and whatnot, getting them off to school. And then some days I have enough energy to like go get a little workout in and get get the day going that way. And, and other days I just kind of hop right into emails and slacks. And, you know, it's it's all across the board. I kind of when I talk about the transition into this role, I talk about like how my brain feels like kind of a pinball machine you're just covering the scope of your coverage is obviously a, a lot more than like what it was in my previous role so it still continues to be an adjustment in that way you're just talking about such a varied such varied content that you just have to be really like quick and, and adaptable as as these like subjects change throughout the course of the day so you know one day you could be talking about like how much our major league nutrition budget is going to be. And then the next day you're talking about like your projection systems and who we're looking to acquire as a minor league free agent and like everything in between that. So I love it. It keeps me on my toes, but I, the, the, the short answer to your question is every day is different and I have four kids. So I certainly keep me on my toes too. Let me jump in real quick here because I, I I find that interesting. And I just know that in my previous life, you know, as a farm director, certainly not a GM, but I, I, you know, I like the kid that the the farm directors like the GM of the minor leagues, just minus a whole column of zeros. But it, it's all seriousness. The one thing that I know that helped me probably I, I probably established this my first halfway through my first season was your system of information management. Right? How do you manage the the steady flow of information and different information on a daily basis? How do you get through that? And, and how long did it take you to find your rhythm in that regard? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Like, there's just a, it's a steady influx of information. And I think like some of it is sort of natural adaptation and like recognizing that you only have 24 hours in the day to consume certain amounts of information. And I think you, 
sort of naturally learn how to prioritize and, you know, go, don't go down rabbit holes mm. the, the way that you used to. And mm-hmm. you have to, I think it's a combination of two things. One, learning how to delegate. And if you know that you don't have the bandwidth to make a decision or, you know, give a response to a certain topic or question, I think you just have to have confidence in the people around you to make those decisions for you sometimes. And then the second thing is just sort of developing a skill to make decisions with limited information and sometimes knowing that you don't have the capacity to really like dig into second and third level criteria and analysis. I think like sometimes you just have to make quick decisions, imperfect information, but that's, that's sort of the nature of the job. That's gold right there. That's gold right there. Good stuff. How much information Thanks. do you have on someone like Junior Marte versus someone like Soto versus someone like Trey Turner? How much information are you kind of synthesizing at that point? Well, I mean, you know, we're not necessarily getting different information on those guys. If they're professional baseball players, you have roughly the same amount of information. Obviously, a guy like Trey Turner, the guy's been in the big leagues for a while, you're going to just have more data on him, obviously. And I think, you know, there are there is data at the major league level that you're not necessarily exposed to at the minor league level. So, I mean, in terms of pure objective data, it's obviously very dependent on the player's sort of resume. But we're doing the same things. We're going through the same process when it comes time to acquiring a, you know, a superstar like Trey Turner versus a guy who might be up more on the fringe of a major league roster. Like it's the same process. We're 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 sort of combining objective data with with some subjective data that we think matters, you know, makeup evaluation is a big part of what we do. And that's, we don't cut short that process regardless of who we're acquiring. So Sam, I, I know you came at it, you know, you came out of the dugout. What was, and, and, and I know you had some, some, you know, managerial interviews and turned down a few. Why all the way upstairs? What, what was that process like for you? I mean, was it, was it, how did that, how did that evolve? And what was that process like in terms of deciding uh, you want to go this route? It was a combination of a fit for from a professional standpoint and from a family lifestyle standpoint like I, sure. I, as soon as i hung up my spikes i really valued flexibility and i valued you know not being tied to the calendar on your the schedule on your fridge like i think you know being <laughs> locked into all 162 or what, what you know, 140 if you're in the minor leagues like i think that can be draining especially when you have a family and i think like just from a personal standpoint i really placed a lot of emphasis on being able to say like go to a wedding in the middle of the summer if the occasion called for it or if my son had a little league game that was really important being able to to go or at least having a higher likelihood of being able to go i think those things really mattered to me just given the you know pull away from family that i experienced like towards the end of my playing career so that's always been a a favor you know i'd say a Front office has always been a more favorable towards family flexibility. And then I think professionally, it just, I think there's different, different challenges, obviously, whether you have a uniform on or not. But there was something that just always sort of felt like front office decision making was scratching my kind of intellectual itch more than in a uniform position. And that's not to say I wouldn't be incredibly challenged, like putting a, putting a uniform on and being a coach or manager. But I think just I've always had like a penchant for problem solving and critical thinking and felt like, those two itches were would be scratched in a really meaningful way by being upstairs. So what kind of questions is Sam Fold, the GM, ask the people on his staff? How do you know and why? It's probably probably the two most commonly asked questions. You are turning into a GM. <laughs> 
<laughs> I used to ask you that. Come on, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, you're right. That's true. That is always you. Well, why is that? Yeah. Why do you want me to leg kick, Bobby? Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I think I do ask a lot of questions, so it's a difficult question to answer. But I'm just always like, I I just have an objective-driven mindset. And if there's evidence that supports your answer, like I'm generally more inclined to believe it and use it to make a decision. So uh, I think I find myself asking like, what sorts of proof do you have in that claim and why do you think it matters and how do we think we can make it better what are the decision the discussions like with you and your analytics department i think it's similar in nature like i i just feel like we have there's never a finished product so i think i'm always i always find myself pushing like asking how can we make this better whether it's it, and whatever it may be i mean i think whether it's the models we generate i mean i think certainly the industry has is is leaning more and more towards model driven behavior and that's not to say we're we're exclusively using models but i think as we better understand how influential they can be and how predictive that data can be like i think i'm always just going to shoot for making the subjective more objective and and there's always going to be a combination between the two but I'm, i'm sort of always pushing them and asking them to try to make their make their models better that's an easy thing for me to say i'm not writing any code (laughs) <laughs> well, you mentioned projection systems before. What do you when you're when they say to you, "Okay, here's our Trey Turner 50th percentile. Here's our Trey Turner 80th percentile." Like, what are you seeing when you look at those? How did how does Sam Fold interpret those? Hopefully, for what they are. I, I think I've just always felt comfortable like uh, evaluating things objectively. So I, I don't I don't know if I have a really great way of answering that question, but I'm definitely uh, evaluating those numbers for what they are and trying to see if we are missing anything in those evaluations and trying to blend that information with the other resources that we have in our in our organization. Sam, talk to me about obviously, you know, you got pulled from the dugout. You were on the major league staff with Philadelphia. You made the move upstairs. You know, Dave said, Hey Sam, I want you to come upstairs. So you go upstairs because, you know, Dave asked Dave Dombrowski is asking you to go upstairs, which is a big step, right? Yeah. Talk about the learning curve not just in the job, maybe maybe less the job, but more in, in working with Dave on a daily basis and in getting the decades of knowledge that he has to offer. Having sit in, you know, sat in, you know, the seat, what, three or four, you know, head baseball decision making seats. Talk about what you've learned from him thus far in your transition to being a major league general manager. Sure. I've been, I've been really grateful to have him around. I, as you said, it was a big, big leap. I feel like I kind of almost just gotten up the field as a, as a player when, when that transition happened. So it was really helpful to be around Dave and, and others in our organization too. I've had plenty of support as I've hiked up this steep learning curve, but Dave, I think just offers like a sense of calm and a sense of comfort, you know, having, having done this for now 35 years, I think like mm-hmm. you, you wouldn't want to be around any, anybody else in that way. You know, I think he, he has seen so much and not, one you know i have not one thing really catches him off guard he, he seems you know whatever the occasion may be i think just sort of exudes calm and it's been a really comforting situation to be in and he's really like i think been intentional in the way he's taken me under his wing so to say and we've been very like explicit about that and just you know i'm really appreciative of like the he didn't have to do that but he's been right. really helpful along the way and i think it, it means a lot that's awesome 
That's fantastic. And, and this is related but unrelated. I mean, obviously, if I'm not mistaken, three and a half years, Stanford economics, right? Yeah, maybe, maybe four. I don't okay. know. Depends how you slice it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But Stanford economics, yeah. you didn't have to stay in baseball. You didn't have to become a GM. You would be successful doing anything you chose to do in life. I think I know the answer to this question because, you know, we, we are friends and we do have history. But explain why to some of our listeners, you know, why the gravitational pull to this this crazy game that you said it earlier. We love it, but we also hate it all at the same time sometimes. Talk sure. to us about that. Yeah, it was a big decision that, that my wife and I made as soon as I decided to retire. Like, like we were legitimately exploring. We, we lived in Jupiter, Florida at the time and loved our loved our home and our neighborhood and our and the uh, lifestyle down there. And we're thinking about potentially finding other sources of employment outside of baseball to, to stay down there. So, I mean, I was literally like exploring franchising air conditioning companies, you know, just as a way of like staying put. I think it didn't take long for me to realize that, you know, managing air conditioning supplier companies were was not going to scratch the itch that I was looking <laughs> to. And, and that's no offense to anybody who's in that industry, but nope. I just have always loved baseball for really from like the time I was young. I mean, I was like a five-year-old kid who had was obsessed with the Red Sox and was like carrying around little stats, handbooks, wherever I went, like literally in love with baseball and the numbers behind it from a very, very young age. So like the, the playing part of my career was definitely a dream come true, but this is also a dream come true too, in many ways. Like I, I don't think as, as a five-year-old, I was like thirsty to become a front office member, but I think as I got older and realized that my playing days could come to an end at any point, I, I was always sort of looking at this opportunity. And as long as like it fit from a family standpoint, I was ready to to dive right in. And and luckily <laughs> my wife was agreeable to it and we've been able to make it work. Anyone who carries around the Xander Hollander books at age five or whatever it was, that's definitely <laughs> GM foreshadowing. So we have a rule here that we only allow great defensive players on our show. So I did want to ask you a defense question or two. When you look at sure. defense, when you look at defensive metrics, what do you see and take from them? Well, yeah, I think I'm always going to be like a little bit biased because that was how I think I became a major leaguer. I don't think there, there's any doubt that without my defensive value, I would have been hanging up, uh, hanging up my cleats a lot earlier than than I did. So I think outside of my own like personal bias, I think that. It's just another way of describing value. And at the end of the day, like how you how you provide value as a player, I think we're agnostic to it. You know, if you're uh, try to try to keep things on the same scale and the same use the same unit, whether it's wins or runs. And I think like 10 runs saved defensively is the same as 10 runs provided offensively. And I think we recognize that the predictive nature of defensive data might not be quite what the predictive nature of offensive data is, but still valuable. Certainly a big part of how we evaluate. Player. If you could improve it, what would you improve? You know, I just think like there are there are probably underlying characteristics that are out there right now that we just haven't fully wrapped around our head, wrapped our heads around. You know, whether that's jump first, you know, first step, jump, route efficiency, acceleration. Like, there's a lot of a lot of data out there that I think we're still exploring, and thankfully Hawkeye has allowed us to sort of better capture the, that data. But I think there's still a lot of a lot of predictive information out there that that exist that we we haven't fully captured yeah i think like there, there's definitely going to be some underlying characteristics and and baseball players that you don't need 
500 games to, to fully capture their defensive abilities. Sam, I don't, I don't want to keep you much longer. I know you got, uh, you know, you've got a team to build, but I'm going to, I'm going to touch the third rail here. And obviously you guys made it to the world series last year. You came up on the, on the wrong end of it. Mm. The job has to continue, right? How long was it? I mean, what did that process look like before you had to say, okay, it is what it is. We got to get back on this horse and make this team better. I mean, like 12 hours. I mean, we were, we were, I went home after game six and went home for, I think, 12 hours to Philly and then flew back out to Las Vegas for, for GM meetings. So it literally was like the next day you're, you're already, I mean, and you like in the month long postseason process, you're all, already like getting your ducks in a row and thinking ahead to, to next year. You can't like fully. Certainly pour your all your emotional energy into into the postseason as much as you want to but knowing that you, you may have a compressed offseason ahead of you, you just have to like move the ball forward with you know everything that comes with an offseason hiring you know even even like having you know player discussions those, those sorts of things just have to happen so yeah but we turn the page i'd say emotionally like pretty pretty quickly i think mm-hmm. like as soon as we lost yeah, I think we did a good job of just sort of turning the page and, and looking ahead to 2023 pretty quickly. And in some ways, it's a silver lining. I think that we that we lost, not that you ever want to, but at least we were. It left us sort of thirsty for getting to the top of the mountain next year. Yeah, and the funny part was, it's interesting you said that because I remember during the, the when you guys were playing, you guys were playing Atlanta, and it was a day game in Atlanta. And I was like, hey man, you know, I don't know, I was checking in just to say congratulations or whatever. And I didn't realize you guys had a day game. I honestly didn't. I think I was watching, either watching or listening to another game. And then you hit me right back. And then I click on MLB.com. And I'm like, wait, why are you texting me right now? Like, pay attention to what you're supposed to be doing. So, yeah, uh, being, being able to yeah. put things in a certain box is is something that you have to do in that spot. Sometimes that, you welcome that that diversion. I'm, I'm to the stress. I mean, one thing I learned, like having never been in the playoffs on this side of the, the field was like those those ups and downs emotionally are intense so like i i welcome the distractions <laughs> just to certainly mind off the game sam just to close here i got a you got a reading recommendation for those that are listening a good baseball reading recommendation from something you've read the last six months i think so yeah i look i'm a i'm a horrible book reader i just stink at it and so I, I'm, I'm glad you're not like limiting this response to just books so i i've been a fan graphs reader for a long time and i think any number of articles that on, on Fangraphs probably comes to mind, but I think the one most recently about it's centered on like Victor Robles and Stephen Kwan and like mm. you know young guys and, and bat speed and how sort of how much bat speed matters and how much upside there is in bat speed development. I think is a really really interesting one that I read recently. Cool, Sam Full, GM of the Phillies. Thank you for taking the time to join us. Best of luck this year. Appreciate it, brother. You're the best. All right, guys. I, I appreciate it too. Good good to chat. And after talking with Sam Fold, we're joined by Bobby Scales, VP of Baseball for Sports Info Solutions. Bobby, what was your biggest takeaway from our conversation with him? Well, I think, Mark, one of the things that guys like him, the first thing I want to touch on is Sam Fold's a really good baseball player. Like, he's an executive now, and he's, you know, part of building a team that got to a World Series, didn't quite win it, but, you know, so be it. He was a really good player, and it was an absolute joy to be in the same clubhouse with him for the better part of two years. And he, he, talked about his defensive ability. I cannot tell you how many times I was on the field, either next to him in left field or, you know, in front of him at second base, third base, shortstop, whatever else playing that given day. And you see a ball hit and it's clearly the center field. And by the time you flip your head around, 
you know, and this is an athletic move in the moment. Whack, the ball's hit. You turn around and look, and he's you. All you see is the back of his jersey already. I don't know that, and, and it's interesting that he mentioned first step quickness and jumps because I don't know that I played with anybody that was better on his first step and jumps than Sam Fold. And I'm not just saying that because he's a friend. I'm not just saying that because we just had him on there. I'm really saying that because it was true. Because Sam could run, he wasn't a flyer, but he. It just seemed like he got to more balls than most guys I played with. And it was it wasn't intuitive. It wasn't instinctual. That implies that you that you get that from birth. In batting practice, that dude used to work his face off to get the best jumps possible. You never seen anybody work like that guy in batting practice. So that was one thing. And I wanted to expand upon that because that just when he said that, that just took me back to who he was as a player. And I think secondly, I think the challenge for him in that role, and like I said, I was quote unquote GM of the minor leagues, which is your farm director. Your problems are much more <laughs> his problems on a daily basis have an, another set of commas and zeros behind them, like I said before. But the, the the biggest thing is is the dude was a workaholic and he was a grinder. That's who he was. That's who he is as a human. That's who he was as a player. And it's it's finding that it's finding that balance with his family, with his wife and his four children, and then also just just time to just to unplug during the season doesn't happen, but just to kind of step away a little bit if you can. Uh, that's the I think the biggest challenge is for him. But he's he seems to have found to struck that balance, and it's it's really awesome to see, especially a guy that I did share as much time as I did with and, and consider a friend. I liked the 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 things that he said about question about questioning things, like that he's very inquisitive with whatever department. I liked the part where he said that you know one one minute he could be dealing with a nutrition budget, another minute he could be working on projection systems. That was great. I, I have a question for you though, because he didn't go specifics on certain things. Having been in a situation like not his job, but sure, within sure. that scheme, when they're having conversations about. Gregory Soto. We won't use mm-hmm. Turner, but let's use someone that's kind of like mid-level, like Gregory Soto. What are what are the different layers of the discussions that they're having, and how many emails and texts are sent, and what what's going on? Oh, like they're they're like? in, they're endless. They're endless. And and yeah, well, sure, we don't use Turner, but you know, if you use if you're going after a big time free agent, or you're going after, you know, like I said, I, you know, I wasn't the GM, but I've been in those conversations, right? I've been in those decision-making circles and, and the layers are endless. It's health. And you know, clearly we've seen it for Korea. He's been with three teams since offseason and he's back with the one he started with. It, it's it's health. It's, it's you know, what does this do to the CBT number? What does this do to our, us long-term? Does this, does this impact any development of our minor league players that may be coming up? I mean, it, the, the, I don't even have, we don't have enough time to go through the, the layer, the layers of, of complexity that some of these moves have, even ones you think are fairly benign. So it is, it's <laughs> when that job is, is, is a monster. I, I can't, I can't imagine it. I will say this, you know, I know Dave, I won't say he's a lightning rod in the industry, but Dave Dombrowski is going to do what Dave Dombrowski does, does. But one thing I have heard about him is that he's going to challenge you every single day. He's going to expect your, uh, your level best, meaning, you know, excellence is his standard, but he is very willing to help you learn during that process. And, and, and Sam pretty much described that in his time with us. It's interesting how the Phillies have gone through different cycle GM and front office uh, going from the Clintac group now to Dombrowski and Sam Fold, who I imagine, I imagine that they're not necessarily opposites, but Dave tends to think in terms of superstars and Sam seems to be thinking in terms of, I loved how he said, you know, he he's biased towards defensive metrics because they kept him in major leagues. Like that was great. I, I appreciated you, you that. You are always, you're always going to be biased to what you were good at yep. and what you did. 
Like for instance, like I'm, I was as a as a as a farm director, I was biased towards fiery players, guys who get after it, guys who were willing to you know run into walls, guys like Sam Fold. What I and I was also biased towards really high, strong, energetic coaches. Here's the problem: you can't have a roster full of them. You can't have a a stable full of them in, in terms of your coaching roster up and down the minor leagues. You can't have a you can't have a a, a whole staff full of them in the big leagues. You have to have balance. And that was the biggest thing, quite frankly, that I had to learn was to look past my own personal biases and, and understand that people can get this thing done in a lot of different ways. And you have to allow them that that bandwidth to do so. That's what makes a good team. I wanted to give the Phillies athletic training staff a shout out. They won MLB athletic training staff of the year for 2022. I didn't get to ask them about that. Is there anything in the offseason in the last few weeks that's particularly caught your eye that we should be thinking about this month? Honestly, I'm still I'm still mesmerized by the whole Korea goings on. I just think it was it was such a comedy of errors on so many different fronts. And I don't know. I'm not going to speak for the man, but he opted out of a contract that would have paid him more money to leave Minnesota. And now the only team of the big boys that you were that that he was trying to sign with. That is comfortable with his physical condition is Minnesota, and it costs them, could cost them some money. I, I just think that you know people always say the grass isn't greener on the other side. Well, you know I think there's a little lesson to be learned in that. But nonetheless, uh, he's going to be a very rich man. He's a very good baseball player, and the Twins, if they could stay healthy and and and, and find some improvement, they're probably in the driver's seat to win that division. Stay healthy up the middle in particular with him and with Byron Buxton, a favorite of ours in terms of guests that we've had here. Praying for health for that young man. He's so good when he's on the field. Bobby Scales, thank you for joining us. This wraps up the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast for the month of January. Thank you to Sam Fold. Thank you to our producer, Justin Stein. Have a, a good rest of your month, everyone. We'll be back in February. Thanks for tuning in. Always a pleasure to be with you, Mark. Thank you for tuning in to the SIS Baseball Podcast. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. If you have any questions, email the show at mark at sportsinfosolutions.com or tweet us at sportsinfo underscore SIS.